Hello, good human, and welcome or welcome back to the Sunshine Project podcast. My name is Chloe. I am your host, and I have spent the last 24 hours running the numbers on my bed and breakfast to prepare for this episode because that's what we're speaking about today. We are delving into what running a BNB or an Airbnb actually looks like. We are going to go through what it costs. And if you're a nosy person, this is the episode for you because I have broken down how much the toilet paper costs, how much the eggs cost, how much it costs to bake a loaf of bread. Everything is broken down. Honestly, my brain is a little bit worn out, but I think it'll be well worth it. I'm going to tell you about the rules that I have for running the B&B for bringing Juniper Grove to life and for making sure that is an experience that people love and people do love it. I don't know if I mentioned in Monday's episode because I'm kind of caught between being really proud and not wanting to sound like a show off. Juniper Grove is actually the highest rated bed and breakfast in South Australia at the moment. So we've got 60 something reviews and every single one of them is five stars which is, I actually don't really know how to put into words how that makes me feel. It has been a labor of love. But yeah, I'm going to share with you how we got there and how, you know, potentially you could get there too, if that's something you would like to do. And then I am going to answer all of the questions that you sent through, through our Facebook group, the Sunshine Project Podcast Community, because there is quite consistently the space there for people to ask questions and to be nosy and to get answers and all of it and through my Instagram stories as well just on my love Chloe Jane page so lots of those lots to talk about much to discuss let's do that in terms of all the things that go into running a B&B and again I'm gonna be saying B&B rather than Airbnb because I feel like Airbnb is the platform we use it's not really the product that we offer the product that we offer is a B&B, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, this is coming from someone who I have run a number of businesses over the years with varying degrees of input necessary. So a creative agency and a digital agency that required me to kind of do nine to fives and work with clients and shareholders and government and all of it. And a candle company that saw me pouring candles sometimes at 3am in between market days that were much busier than I was expecting and being lucky enough to send them out all over the world and look, lots of businesses, lots of things, a lot of baskets, a lot of eggs. But basically, I heard people say all the time like, oh, you know, running a and b I guess they're mostly talking about Airbnb, so I'll use that here. Running an Airbnb is so easy. Like people need to get real jobs because this is just passive income and it's slack and it's so unbelievably cruisy. It is not unbelievably cruisy. If you would like to do it well and properly and with love, which is the only way that I like to do things for other people. And 
I don't know that we have the time for me to take you through every step of the process through, you know, like messaging people when they book and answering questions and sending messages when they check in in the morning and and answering any problems they might have and doing the cleans and the refreshes and the maintenance. And then, of course, we had the renovation and things beforehand as well. I'm not going to take you through step by step, but what I am going to do is share with you the rules that I have for running Juniper Grove. And I've come up with five and I'm hoping that they do a good job at communicating to you what it's actually like and what it takes. So the first rule on my list is that every person who stays at the cabin should feel like they are the first person to stay. And what I mean by that is everything should be immaculate. I do some of the cleans and then I've got two beautiful housekeepers, Rosie and Liv, who are not only housekeepers, they're friends. They, uh, I could make a whole podcast episode about how much I adore them and how lucky I am to have them. Anyway, but no matter who's cleaning, there are about 30 items on the list that we run through during a clean. So a clean takes about two hours, sometimes a little more, rarely a little less. And the person walking through that door, the only sign that they should have that there have been other guests beforehand are the lovely notes that people leave in the guest book. So I'm talking, you know, all of the cutlery and utensils and things, spotless, all of the surfaces, you know, gorgeous, gleaming, all of the bottles of things like shampoo and conditioner and body wash and dishwashing liquid, always more than half full. I'm talking all of the sheets and the tea towels and things like that would never have any holes in them. They're very well looked after. Yeah, it just, it should feel like anyone who walks into Juniper Grove is the first person that's ever stayed there. And you know that Rihanna song, Only Girl in the World? I'm sure you do. I'm not going to sing it. But that is essentially the vibe as well. Like I want to make every guest feel like they are the most special guest we've ever had. So that looks like really personalized messaging when they book and in the morning when they check in. And it looks like leaving them a handwritten note, you know, welcoming them to the cabin and wishing them well. And it looks like having a booklet that is printed and is bound in leather that has every bit of information they might possibly need. So friendly and personal that it almost would feel like they're staying at a friend's house and the friend has gone away for the weekend, but also like they're the first person to ever stay there. The second rule I have is that everything in the cabin should be nicer than what people have at home. And I'm not going to our guests' homes and knocking on the door and being like, all right, show me what brand of soap you use because we've got to one-up it. All I mean by that is People like the things they like. People have quite specific tastes and I don't want people to come to the cabin and feel like, oh yeah, it was really nice, but the bed was smaller than we have at home or the coffee pods were more bitter or the bread wasn't as fresh. And I don't, I think we're really lucky. I have the most beautiful guests. Like I cannot even... There's too many things I can't put into words for a podcast format today, but I have gorgeous guests. I don't think that anyone would come in and think that, but I don't even want to give them the chance. I don't even want that thought to enter their mind for one second. So that looks like 
having the good stuff, you know, having sheets from bed threads that are a beautiful flax linen and having really nice hardwood that is sourced locally and ethically so that the wood burns for a long time in the fire and having T2Ts for people to use and alive brand soaps and things like that. Everything should be nicer or as nice as what people have at home. The third rule is that our guests should want for nothing and you cannot guarantee that people will want for nothing. I had one guest a while ago who called me quite frantically. They were staying for two nights. This is actually the only kind of negative experience I've had since I've been running the B&B. It was very stressful, but they were staying for two nights and they called me really upset and they were like, where's all the food? And I said, oh, you know, what do you, what do you mean? And I had done the clean and I'd done the setup and a really deep, thorough everything actually that morning. So I knew everything was there. And they were like, where's the food? And I said, oh, well, there's some freshly baked bread still in the machine for you. And they were like, yep, we saw that. And I said, yep. And there's some butter and some jam and some honey. And we get beautiful little Berenberg jams and honeys and things like that. So they're all done up, but we don't use plastic. So they're in little glass jars. They're very sweet. And they said, yep. And I said, and there's four eggs there from our neighbor's chooks at the cabin. And they said, yeah. And I said, and there's tea and coffee and oat milk and sugar and a bottle of wine, which is something that we just give as a gift to people that stay. I, I meant to do it just for the first guest, but they really loved it. And everyone's loved it since. So we've sourced a vegan Pinot Noir from the Adelaide Hills from Press and Bloom, which has really nice branding as well that matches the cabinet. Anyway, I sort of like listed all the food, which was, it's really clearly listed on our listing as well, what it includes, which is breakfast, which is quite rare, as you probably know, in an Airbnb to have breakfast like that and to hypothetically be able to check in and not have to go anywhere for breakfast the next morning or bring any of your own food. Anyway, they were like, yeah, well, where's the rest of the food? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, did you think that there would be lunches or dinners? Like a, it's all on the listing. And they said, no, no, just breakfast. This isn't enough breakfast for us. And I said, oh, and they said, yeah, I have stayed at many B&Bs and there are always many loaves of bread. There are many loaves of bread. There's only one loaf of bread here. And I said, oh, how many loaves of bread? And they said, many. And there's cheese and there's more butter than this and there's different types of milk. And I think I, as I say this, I feel like I've maybe actually told this story on the podcast before, but I ended up in getting some more food delivered to them, which I shouldn't have done. But I was just really nervous because it was quite new. We'd only been running for a few months and I really didn't want them to give me a bad review because you might not know this, but if your review falls under 4.7 stars on Airbnb, then you get restricted. And if it falls much below that, then you get deleted from the platform. So I know that it it's not how reviewing works normally, like four stars normally is, oh yeah, this was good. This, yeah, this was quite good. On Airbnb, four stars means dumpster fire should be shut down immediately. Yeah, it's bizarre. Anyway, delivered all the extra food and they ended up rating us five stars, which was lovely of them. But 
In general, the third rule is that our guests should not be wanting for anything. So that means food, you know, making sure that there's enough there that they can like nibble on or we'll tide them over and really clearly listing that in the listing. It means there are games they can play and puzzles they can do and books they can read, hundreds and hundreds of books they can read that I collected from op shops and secondhand stores over a few months, that they're not wanting for anything to do either. So I mentioned before, I've got a booklet that I leave out and that lists everything they can do around the cabin, you know, from walking down to the Winter Creek, to bird watching, to playing the games, to enjoying the fire or drinking the wine or sitting on the porch swing. And then it lists all of the things there are to do locally as well. Um, There are beautiful national parks around the cabin. So it tells people what those national parks are, how long it will take them to get there. It lists things to do in towns nearby and how many minutes it takes to get there as well. It lists op shops and vintage stores nearby, how many minutes it takes to get there. So basically the goal is that People really can't be bored there unless they want to be bored. And we don't have a TV because I personally just don't love chucking the telly on when I stay at other places. I did buy a projector for the cabin, but it was very complicated to use and it always started by playing deal or no deal. Like whenever you turn it on, it was just this really loud deal or no deal situation. So uh, that's not there anymore because I thought people are going to get so frustrated with this and yelly that it's going to ruin their stay. But in general, rule number three, our guests should want for nothing. Rule number four, these next two are really hopefully going to be helpful if you would like to start a B&B one day or rent out a structure or a glamping tent on your property because we are in a cost of living crisis and I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware that people are interested in doing this sort of thing at the moment because we are all trying to make ends meet. And there are ways that you can do that. It's not going to sound like there are ways you can do that when I break down my costs. But if you have a studio in your backyard that you're not using that you think would be perfect for a B&B, then your situation is going to be very different from mine, which is a standalone cabin with lots of needs. Anyway, rule number four is to work to your strengths. And to work to your strengths also means being aware of your weaknesses. So for example, A strength of the cabin is that it is quite private and quite cozy and quite lovely, which I sound very proud of because a big dose of that is to do with the renovations and the thought that was put in there. But so we really dial that up. It's like here are the wood woolen rugs. Here is the wood fire. Here is the electric blanket to make sure that you're nice and warm. Here's the heated flooring in the bathroom. You know, here's how we really amplify that coziness. It looks like embracing the nature around the cabin and leaning into that and bringing cues of that inside with styling and by having fresh leaves and fresh flowers for all of our guests from the garden and for telling our guests about all of the different little nesting stations and things dotted around by leaving them bird seeds so that they can engage with the native wildlife. Yeah, just by embracing where you are. 
And as I said, that also plays into knowing your weaknesses. So the cabin gets freezingly, unbearingly, awfully cold in the wintertime. Like it's actually grim. Um, when we stayed, when we just started, it like it was grim. We were grumpy. It was sad. And being aware that it gets so cold meant putting in another fireplace. It meant putting in a heater. It meant putting in heated flooring and buying an electric blanket and having electric throws downstairs and a heater downstairs and making sure that people had every opportunity to be snuggly. The internet is not great at the cabin. It's actually... It's NBN, but it's just a bit slower than I'm used to at home. And there's nothing that we can do about that because it because of the location. We just can't get better internet. Trust me, I've tried. So, you know, I just make sure people are aware that it's on NBN, but you're not going there to stream things 24-7. Here are ways that you can unplug and disconnect. Here are board games you can play. I suggest that people download any movies they'd like to watch on Netflix or whatever before they come and then they can watch them on their laptop if they'd like to but so many people say it's actually really refreshing because and they can be on their screens like they're still they're, they can still connect to the wi-fi and they can still have phone service provided they're not with someone very shonky but a lot of people say they love coming and doing the watercolor and playing the guitar and cooking and actually being off their screens for a while and that's a way that we've turned a weakness into a strength. Another way we've turned a weakness into a strength is that there's a downstairs bathroom that I could not afford to renovate and just didn't have the wind in my sails to do. You could not, someone could have given me a million dollars and said now renovate this and I think I would have just crumbled into a little ball of dust and there's a hallway leading to that bathroom that I couldn't renovate either. And so what we've actually done is close that off and be really clear to people in the booklet that that's what's in there. And there's videos online that they can see if they want to see what is behind a locked door, because I always feel a bit funny about a locked door in a house. But I use that hallway and all of the storage in there to store all of the additional linens and all of the food and all of the wine and, you know, all of the cleaning supplies and the towels and all of it. And then we use the bathroom as our laundry room and our operations center. So yeah, I guess turning this like problem room into something that really serves the cabin. And I don't know what we would do without it now. I feel very lucky for that space. And the fifth rule of five for running a bed and breakfast in a place that is full of love and very successful is actually a throwback to the home episode that was called Something Something and the Magic of Mess. And I spoke about satisfying our five senses and that's what we're doing again here. So at any point, guests should feel that they can satisfy their five senses or that their five senses are being satisfied. So that looks like taste being satisfied by leaving them beautiful, freshly baked, crusty, warm bread and some lovely local wine. Also, sorry, just an aside to the taste thing and the bread and the wine. We have a couple of offerings that won't suit every dietary requirement, which is the freshly baked bread. Obviously, people who are gluten intolerant won't eat that. We leave out butter, butter, which vegan people won't eat, but we're really clear about listing, you know, what things are and things like that. But then we've got oat milk that many more people can drink. 
So, and we make sure that we just accommodate as best we can while still offering them what we would like to offer them by offering them things that feel wholesome and delicious and fresh. Also, another aside, I don't have any branding of anything in the kitchen. So we pour our oat milk into little glass bottles, which seal really well. And then that's how we serve the oat milk to people, which saves on wastage. And it means that we don't have packaging in the fridge. We cut the butter and leave it covered on a butter tray. Actually, we do have the Burenberg jam and honey, which have branding on it, but I feel like that's slightly different. And the same with the wine because it is local. Anything else we sort of tend to decant. So then it just feels like people are coming in at a place of neutrality, which is really nice. Also, also, I did think of this a moment ago. It's actually what I was originally going to say. I personally recommend against putting meat or cheese in a fridge for people to access, uh, especially if they haven't asked for it, because Patrick and I were vegetarian for quite a while. We kept going to bed and breakfast, especially through my work, and they very kindly would leave us all this food, you know, all this cut up meat and cheese and things like that, but half of it we couldn't eat. And I feel like it made the fridge of wherever we're staying smell really bad and unappealing. And even now, you know, I'm not vegetarian. I occasionally will eat meat. It's to do with fertility and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I still just don't really like the smell of that or the vibe of that or the fact that half the fridge is taken up with that stuff if I wasn't aware of it. So if you're on the fence about how much to offer or what to offer, my directions there would be is something for everyone, like make sure that there's something that most people can enjoy in your offerings. I avoid any labeling and I avoid anything that is pungent personally. Anyway, taste is only one of the senses. Smell is another one, which we've just sort of covered, but I would say that is making sure that there are no damp smells, which was a real problem we had at the cabin. I had to hire an ozone machine, which I just hired from a local, I don't want to name them, but a local hire place. They just gave it to me, no questions asked. I took it home to the cabin, looked up how to use it. Turns out this ozone machine works by binding molecule to oxygen and then making bad smells essentially explode or something. But, it, you know, the instructions online were like, do not use this anywhere there are plants because they'll die. Do not use this anywhere there are animals or humans because it binds to the cells in their bodies and they can get really sick or die. I was like, why did you guys just let me take this? Oh my goodness. Yeah, just making sure that things smell good, which the cabin still smelt quite stale all the way up until we had people staying there. And the movement of people coming in and out of the place really opened it up and really, like, it smells beautiful now. But, yeah, just make sure it smells good because you don't want it to smell stale. You don't want it to smell dank. It is really important that that is covered. Visually, your sense can be satisfied by just having things that look nice and interesting. And we got 80% of the styling stuff at the cabin from secondhand stores from op shops, from vintage stores, from thrift shops. That's very visually interesting. It looks very different to anything else people have seen. I really felt like because I had that in mind, I was able to experiment and do some crazy things in terms of styling that I wouldn't normally do, like putting 
curtain rods at different heights from one another to create interest and like hanging tennis rackets on walls to bring in a kind of old school preppy vibe and like finding artwork that was a little bit weird but in a really cool way and like creating a giant room filled with rainbow books you know books in rainbow order on bookshelves that spanned both walls yeah so that's visually sound satisfying what people can hear for me it looked like creating a playlist called Juniper Grove which is on Spotify and in the booklet I say you know please look up this playlist and this is how you connect to this speaker and you can play it and uh, it's a whole other element of magic sound is something that we do tend to forget but it is really important at just tying together an atmosphere and then in terms of feel that looks like people staying warm people staying snugly interesting textures so rugs and blankets and some leather seats and some linen on the bed and things that people can touch and feel and are really tangible so they are the five rules we have Everyone who comes should feel like they're the first person to stay. Everything should be nicer than what they have at home. People should want for nothing. I should always work to my strengths. And five senses should be satisfied for. Now I want to talk to you about money. I want to tell you exactly what I earn through Airbnb. I want to tell you how much you pay, how much I get, and then I guess just the incomings and the outgoings of the whole situation. So I have broken this down based on the first reservation that I clicked, which was actually made a little while ago. My prices have gone up, I think about $10 a night since then. But essentially, look, I don't charge enough. I would like to say that at the get-go. I charge a very middle of the range price for people to come and stay and that is mostly because I would like it to be as accessible as it can possibly be but I am aware that even when I was like 20 or 21 years old booking places for Patrick and I I was paying more than this to stay at places that were lovely and fine but I know we've got something special. I know because we've got only five-star reviews and glowing feedback and the little guest favorite badge and the super host badge and all of it. But it, look, I'm going to talk you through the numbers with that aside. So essentially, if you made this booking, then you would be paying $250 per night for two nights because most of our bookings are for two nights. I tend to only allow single night bookings at the start of each month for that month to come because otherwise people just say all the time that they wish they had longer there and I know that feeling. It just doesn't feel like you can properly sink into it in one night. But So I charge $250 a night. So two nights is $500. I then charge a $100 cleaning fee on top of that. I then get charged or you get charged $93.18 from Airbnb and that is their customer service fee. I believe that's what it's called. But essentially that's Airbnb saying, hey, you want to stay here? That's fine. We'll take our cut. Which means you're paying for two nights $693.18 to stay at the cabin. Of that $693.18, I start with $600 of it. So that is 
$600 minus $110 because I do pass every cent of the cleaning fee on to our beautiful housekeepers. I just couldn't do it without them. I pay them $55 an hour and it's really important to me that they know how valued and appreciated their work is. So they get $110 essentially per shift for a two-hour shift, a two-hour cleaning shift, which leaves us with $490 for the two nights. Then Airbnb do charge about another $20 plus GST on my end. I have forgotten to take that out in my calculations, but we'll just take another $10 per night off at the end. So as of right now, we have been paid hypothetically $600 by Airbnb. We've taken $110 out for our housekeeping, which leaves us with $490. Then we've got to look at our consumables. So I wrote down a list of all of the things that I pay for when people come and stay. And let me just flick through my booklet to find it because that list includes, hang on, it is substantial. Here we go. That list includes Wine, bread, butter, jam, honey, eggs, oat milk, coffee, sugar, salt, pepper, dishwashing liquid, dishwashing tablets, bin bags, sponges, paper towel, toilet paper, shampoo, conditioner, soap, bin bag for the bathroom, bubble bath, bath salts, cotton pads, cotton buds, and then wood for the fire, fire starting kits, cleaning supplies, lots of consumables and they come in at about $54 per stay. So I did work that out over the two nights. Maybe people will go through a couple of rolls of toilet paper, a bottle of wine, which is one of the most expensive things, you know, the loaf of bread and a couple of coffees and whatever. We always give freshly wrapped toilet paper, freshly wrapped paper towel, a fresh sponge, again, because people should feel like they're the only ones to be there. And we each of the housekeeping staff and myself sometimes take things home that are left to make sure that nothing gets wasted. Anyway, that's the consumables, about $54 per stay. And then we've got the bills as well, which come in at about $44.50 per stay. So bills are going to look different for everyone, but for us, that looks like the internet, which is quite expensive just because of the way it's got to be supplied to the cabin. It looks like electricity, which is very expensive, even though we have solar and we run mostly off solar. That came in at nearly $1,000 for the last quarter. And I don't know if that's because a lot of people were using the heater. I don't know if that's because they're using lights quite often, but probably investing in some more solar is something that, well, it's something I'd like to do anyway, but feels like a good time. It looks like paying the septic people to come out and clear out the septic tank every couple of months and paying Sam, who is our gardener, to come and clear away all the weeds and make sure that we're bushfire safe and snake safe and all of that. So yeah, forty-four fifty or so. So taking off the cost of the consumables and taking off the cost of the bills from that $490 that we were starting with for two nights, we are left with $391. We're then going to divide that by two, which is $195.50 per night that I'm making. And then I'm going to take off that $10 per night Airbnb fee that I pay as well. So it's about $185 a night. On top of that, I pay my grandparents rent and I did mention in the first part of this little Airbnb series that I think probably 
the most ethical and the smartest way you could have a B&B, a bed and breakfast or an Airbnb is to use somewhere that you already have. So maybe it's a holiday home that your family use, but no one else does. Must be nice. Maybe it's a structure on your own property, you know, just somewhere you're not going to be paying rent for. So I pay them market value rent, which I actually pay them a little bit more than the tenant used to pay them. It's about $350 a week. And then I've also got to factor in any additional costs. So for example, it started to heat up in early December and we realized that we really, really needed an air conditioner in the bedroom of the cabin, that it was actually on hot days. It's stifling. The heat was oppressive in there. So that was $2,500 straight away, which obviously just came out of, I guess, was all of the money that the place had made so far. So yeah, $185 a night. rent a week. Let me work this out. I'm going to say on average, we've got four nights a week that are booked. And in January, every single night was booked out, Monday to Friday. Very, very lucky for it. It's been an amazing month. In February, for absolutely like no reason that I can discern, we have very few bookings. There are some weeks that we only have one or two nights booked and February is very, very soon. But then in March and April, we've got heaps of bookings again. So I'm just going to average that out and say that we have $185 a night. And then I'm going to times that by four on average, which is $740. And then I'm going to take away the rent, $350, which leaves me with $390 a week income at the moment. And yeah, look, that at the moment is essentially going into these other things that we need to do, like installing an air conditioner. There are, it will go into installing solar panels. It will go into essentially just pouring love back into the cabin because I wasn't joking when I said this isn't a money thing for me. Like $390 a week is a great amount of money if you don't factor in that I don't pay myself and I do a lot of work. I work for probably, I mean, it's way easier now than it used to be, but probably like 10 hours a week on average on it and all of those additional costs that have come up are going to keep coming up. But for me, for our situation, it is worth it because it means that the cabin is still standing It means that people get to enjoy it. It means that I get to see this life and love and magic breathed into it. I've created something that I am so very, very proud of. And yeah, financially, would it be worth it? No. But all the other stuff, bearing all of that in mind and with the hope that one day I will be able to buy the cabin and then run this as a bed and breakfast and keep having this magic woven through it forever, that, yeah, that for me feels really good. Okay, on to your questions. This is going to be a bit of a speed round. Terry asked, where did you find such wonderful pieces? Did you have an unlimited budget? 
Thank you, Sherry. I would say 80% of the things that I sourced for the cabin were secondhand and pre-loved, and I sourced them from vintage stores, salvage stores, op shops all over Adelaide. The ones that I would really, really recommend are, I've got four, Backer Burke, which is on Churchill Road. Charlie there is just an angel human, and they've got the loveliest, most interesting stuff. Hindmarsh Salvage on Port Road, another great store, family run, lovely things, good prices. De Young's Salvage, I have a great relationship with them there. They're in O'Sullivan's Beach, so a bit closer to me, and I pop up there for every project I've got. They are great and helpful and, again, really nice pieces. And then I also recommend Whatever at Wollonga, which is in Wollonga. They've got cool, vintage, retro, very well curated things. I also shopped a lot at Salvo stores and at Savers. And did I have an unlimited budget? Yes, but in a very irresponsible way because I spent my entire life savings on the renovation and the styling of the cabin. I'm not joking. So the budget was unlimited. It probably cost me about $100,000, but I mean, that includes like renovating a bathroom and a kitchen and all of the things. I can't believe I ever had $100,000 collectively in my life. There was never that much in my bank account, but yeah. Melanie asked, what is my ongoing role in Juniper Grove versus what tasks I outsource? So I would say I manage the business. I do all of the stock coordination. So those consumables I mentioned earlier, I do all of the communication with guests when they book, when they want to book, when they've got questions. That one's sort of a 24-7 job. I do all of the marketing. I do the rostering. So that is for our housekeepers. And then for anyone else that needs to come in, like pest control or like the septic people or like the gardener. And I'm just in charge of the brand as a whole. And then the things that I outsource are the housekeeping. As you know, Rosie and Liv do that. And I outsource the gardening as well. And I outsource anything that I need to be way more qualified than I am to do, but I don't intend on ever outsourcing the marketing because I love it. I love being so connected. I love writing out the welcome notes for people by hand and knowing exactly why people are coming and reading their notes in the guest book and all of it. Tim asked, what do I think is the most critical part of your success? What sets this apart? So there are three ways I could look at this. If I'm going to be really earnest about it, which is the way that I feel most naturally drawn to be, I would say the thing that sets it apart and the reason that we're so highly rated is because of the love. Like you can feel the love. It wraps around you when you walk in. It's just, it's quite indescribable. And I think that sets us apart. If I was going to be really realistic about it, I would say the thing that sets Juniper Grove apart is the fact that I covered all of the renovations on TikTok and on Instagram when I was renovating, I think people feel involved and they feel like they were a part of that and then that makes them want to stay. And then if I was going to have my business pants on, I would say like being successful is so subjective. We have very few bookings, as I mentioned, next month. And some people would look at that and say, mm, is it successful? But I think it is, and it's not because of how busy we've been in January. It's because of the way that I feel about it and the way that people adore it. And yeah, it feels like success to me. 
Tina asked, bit left of field here, why do Airbnbs charge significantly extra for elopements, even if just the couple and a celebrant? Well, we don't offer weddings at Juniper Grove, mostly because of the parking situation. You can fit like maybe two cars in where we are and it's difficult to reverse, but you don't care about that. But I can think of a number of reasons that people would charge more for elopements. And this is fresh in my mind because Patrick and I stayed there a few days ago and he was like, oh, you know, it will be so beautiful for people to get married down by the creek. There's this gorgeous clearing and this lovely spot and there is, but there are so many things to think about. So that looks like the fact that people would probably want to have a site tour, even if they're just eloping. And does that look like them trying to squeeze in between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. when guests are swapping over? Or does that look like them having to book a night beforehand to come and check it out, in which case all of a sudden you've like doubled the cost of the stay there? It looks like me going down and showing them around potentially, which is a big job in itself. And I'm not a wedding coordinator or a wedding planner. I'm not well-versed in that at all, aside from my own. So that would be a much different undertaking than what I usually do. It would also look like, I don't want to say insurance issues, but when I was speaking to Patrick about this, I mentioned again how my grandpa had fallen down the stairs outside a few years ago. And I was like, what if someone's grandma fell down on the way to cross the creek or something? You know, that is quite stressful, to be honest. Becky said, do you ever get to stay at Juniper Grove yourself? Yes, we try and stay once a month or so. I wish I was at the point and hopefully we get to the point that we can go and just enjoy it. At the moment, we still go and spend like six hours doing things and touching things up and yeah, working. But we did play a game of backgammon when we stayed the other night and that was very lovely. It's important that we do stay though, because if we don't stay, we miss out on the whole experience. And when we stayed the other night, we realized that there's like a Wi-Fi connector thing in the bedroom and it is bright blue and you don't notice it during the daytime, but this bright blue light when you're trying to sleep looks like a UFO has landed in the corner. And I wouldn't have noticed that and I would have not been able to fix it had we not stayed. Um... She also asked, have you ever declined guests? Yes, I decline guests who have a series of poor ratings beforehand. Because there is so much love in that place, I'm not willing to risk a party or someone stealing my father's guitar or someone throwing the toaster out the window. I don't know. Have I looked at hosting on other platforms? Not really, because Airbnb does suit our needs. It's easy for people to use. Most people are already set up there. They offer really good insurance and security. And also, would you recommend others start an Airbnb anywhere or do you see it working in a specific niche? As covered in the financial bit of this episode, I think it really does work best in a specific niche, um, which is one that is low cost, high gain somewhere that you is perhaps on your property or really close to you if that's something that works for you that's something that I wouldn't love we were going to rent out the bungalow as an Airbnb when we bought this house that was the plan but it's so close to our cottage that I just wouldn't feel comfortable with different strangers there all the time anyway Amber asked how do you balance staying competitive with paying cleaners fairly I absorb the costs so paying cleaners fairly. Amber also said it's a huge problem in Utah, where I imagine that she's from, not just a random fact. I prioritize paying our cleaners fairly. 
And I also, you know, our pricing is also competitive and that's because I'm not in it to make heaps of money. I was also asked, what do people prioritize when choosing and reviewing how to focus on different aspects of the renovation? So I think if you're making sure those five senses are covered, that's when people are going to have a really nice time. Three more questions. Jessica asked, with tax cleaning, et cetera, does it work out better than long-term renters? Probably not. I think long-term renters would be better financially, but as I alluded to in the last episode, long-term renting does not work for this particular property and this cabin. If it was suitable for long-term renters, then that would be what I would have recommended that my grandparents do with it. Not that they have to listen to me like it's their house, but yeah, I think that long-term renting is more viable unless you're in a very specific circumstance. Talise asks, would you ever consider your own website to avoid Airbnb based on principle? No, Talise. I wouldn't. I mean, I'd consider it, but I, I've come to the decision that I wouldn't do it. And that is for security reasons, communication reasons, insurance reasons. And also like on principle, in an ideal world, I mean, in an ideal world, everyone would have a house and a small business and we would trade things like eggs for things like jam. And that I'm not taking the mickey there. That's actually my dream life is living in that sort of world. But that's not where we're at. And for me, it's worth paying Airbnb and it's worth being on Airbnb because of the safety and the benefits that come with that, as opposed to having my own website. And I cannot even imagine the additional mental load, emotional load, physical load that that would involve. So, and the last one was from Elise who asked, does running the B&B fill your cup? Yeah, it really does actually like nothing else I've ever experienced and it took emptying out my cup first but now it is so so full and I'm so grateful for it every single day all right I love you good human I will speak to you soon very soon in fact I hope you have a wonderful day and thank you for being here This podcast was recorded and edited on Ghana land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.